Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years' history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode you have learned something, or at least, if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? My name is Dina. And I'm Brian. And on this episode, I want to just take a second here. I spoke with a lovely family today, and for anonymity purposes, I don't want to share their name or where they're from, but I spoke with a mother, and we discussed her daughter, and I just want to dedicate this episode to her and the family altogether. They're just a sweet family, and I was privileged to be able to talk with them, and I just wish the very best for their daughter and for their whole family. But to go further... I just thought maybe in this episode, we talk a little bit about hitting rock bottom. Hitting rock bottom can be different for a lot of people. I mean, for me, I thought I hit rock bottom many times, and then I guess it wasn't the lowest point. I don't even know if I was completely at rock bottom when I entered treatment. I think I went out of fear more than I need to be there. Well, a little bit during at the end of being in treatment, and then once I got home, Some of the doctors had asked me if I would speak to certain family members, and I think we've discussed that a little bit before. And the main question from families was, what is it that we can do to help? And I said, you really have to wait. Unfortunately, sometimes that's death. Sometimes that's hitting rock bottom. In order to work the program, you got to want to work it. And I think that's part of what a professional interventionist would do. They used to call it raising the bottom. But if you're familiar with how an intervention works, You tell the person who's suffering from addiction that this is how your addiction has affected me and here's how I'm not going to enable your disease anymore. And the professional intervention, I don't know, do you call them interventionists? I don't know. I'm calling them interventionists. The person who's running the intervention will say, are you going to hold to that ultimatum? And if you don't, then you can't be here because now you're feeding into that manipulation that they're going to do of, well, they're not really going to do it. So it doesn't really help them at all when you're not going to hold to that ultimatum. So it kind of helps raise the bottom and it helps really for the addict to see how far have I come and how I have affected other people. It's not just me. You know, they told us in treatment, the word an addict hates to hear the most is no. And that no is now the jumping off point to finding a yes. And they'll manipulate, hey, I don't have any money. Oh, can you do this? What if you do this? How about this? Until they finally get a yes. Well, and I think some people think, oh, there's going to be this magical aha moment. And you're going to be like, oh, the clarity has just hit me. I need to get help. I don't want to die. And unfortunately, I never had that moment. I mean, not really. Not enough that it made me... Not enough to force you to action. Yeah, get in the car and go do something about it. You had those moments. Maybe it happened a little bit like, okay, I'm scared. I'll eat a couple Oreos or something. And then the next day you get up and you do the same cycle over again. But I don't know when people are going to be ready for treatment. I mean, I've said it before. I was with girls that were on their sixth, seventh, and eighth stay in different places. 
But I think you have to come kind of like in the big book and stuff where it's step one, your life has become unmanageable and I can't control anything anymore. I've recognized I have a problem and I don't know how to help myself and I need someone else to help me. That's where I think recovery begins. But that doesn't mean at that point you're on a road to recovery and everything's just going to be butterflies and rainbows from that point on because it's not going to be because recovery is so difficult. There's so many different, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Like a roller coaster, ups and downs and ups and downs. So I think has a lot to do with acceptance. And part of that, just going back a moment to the first step, yet, you know, you can say that first step and you can do the things for the first step and then have a relapse. And you really have to understand what that first step is. It's not just recognizing you're having a problem. That's part of it, but it's not the whole step. It's recognizing that you yourself got you to this place and you do have a problem and that you can't fix it by yourself. And until you kind of take all those in and realize, yeah, I am powerless over this disease, that you're really able to progress into the next step and progress into your recovery. I mean, yeah, fake it till you make it and those things, but until you can take those things in, and sometimes, like I said, maybe it's a maturity thing. If you're 17, 18 years old, you may not be able to have that capacity to say, I really have this problem and I did it and I'm powerless over it because when you're that age, you're invincible. I mean, we all have been that age or hope to be. (laughs) And it's just the reality of, you know, I can do anything and the world revolves around me. So, and to a certain extent, you're right. But when you're struggling in the addiction, you're 100% wrong in that I control this or I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Well, and I think hitting rock bottom can be one of the best things that can happen to you. I mean, it can be because I think it forces you to be brutally honest about yourself, about the demons you have, about the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that's gone on and taking responsibility because that's when the anger and the frustration with yourself comes forth because you realize, what have I wasted part of my life for? And if I look back now, I wasted, maybe that's not the right word, but my 20s were so consumed with an eating disorder that I didn't get to enjoy that period of my life. It came and went and it makes me angry, but at least it wasn't my 30s and my 40s as well. The good thing about hitting rock bottom, I believe, is usually there's only one way after hitting rock bottom, and that's up. So could you have a relapse during that? Yes. And usually in treatment, if people relapsed, they would usually have you write your first step over again. And I think I have mine somewhere, but I think a lot of it is I still have a problem with letting go and letting God. And because I still want to have some form of control of my life, because I think I do it so well, Um, (laughs) (laughs) obviously, (laughs) obviously, but some people say, why does it take so long to get to recovery mode? Because it didn't happen overnight. Just like when you're pregnant for nine months and then you're like, well, wait, I still have weight to lose afterwards. And you expect it to be gone once you leave the hospital or soon after, but it took you nine months to get there. It's going to take some time to get the weight off or get to recovery. And you have to put yourself first in that. That has to be your main goal. That is your job, your priority of all priorities. And I think it is probably hard on people that have families to go back to. I was lucky 
that Brian was working and I could really focus on my recovery when I first came home. Yeah. And we said before, the best place to relapse is in treatment. And I know a lot of people may feel, certainly my wife felt when she relapsed that she had screwed it all up again. And really, you just haven't come to terms with that first step yet. That's why you have to do the first step over again. It's realizing that, hey, (laughs) here I was, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I had this trigger, and I was trying to control it. And boy, when you're trying to control it, that's the disease talking, and you can't control it. Because you know what happens if you drive the car? You're going off a cliff. I have to let someone else, your higher power, however you define that, let that drive the car. And that's tough to do. It's tough for anyone to do. It's tough to trust that something's there when it's not there. It's like having a broken leg and you've been getting around on crutches and somebody takes your crutches away and goes, okay, now walk. Well, I've had this crutch for so long, I know it's going to be there. So I'll reach for it. Maybe if I fall forward a little bit, it'll still be there. And when it's not, it's like, okay, now I get it. I understand. I need to surrender that piece that says I'm in control because I can't be in control. I think when hitting rock bottom is also like, I guess I was thinking this week, like just don't give up. So sometimes you don't have to take big steps to make huge milestones. You know, people like you didn't run a race and you get an award. But I think in recovery, it's the little steps that almost mean more that you have to celebrate those little steps because, I don't know, I mean, there's lots of diets out there that you can lose 10 pounds in a week if you do this and that, but does it stay off? That's my analogy right now. But I think it's going to take time for recovery. I mean, I guess we haven't talked about what about the families that can't afford to go to treatment? How are they going to find recovery? Luckily, there's lots of groups out there. Well, yeah, and just like the people, I mean, I didn't talk to them, but we, you and I talked about them. You have to recognize that you got to start someplace. Showing up to a meeting, finding the empty seat app, and just going to a meeting and just sitting in that meeting. And maybe you speak up and you say something. That's a great place to start and at least hear what people are saying that are in the program and they're working the program and hear the struggles they're going through because it's going to be a very familiar story. And in that story, you're going to feel comfortable with the people that you're around and speak up, get a sponsor. And I alluded to the family we were talking to, and it kind of brought me back to, you know, our journey. And I've said before, and I'm going to say it again here, when you go see your family doctor or your internist or, you know, she's losing weight, I don't understand. And I'm sorry if I'm coming off negative, but really this is my experience. You know, if you're a medical professional, God bless you. But in my experience in this space, you guys suck because they were going to do tests on my wife until she died without really understanding what was going on. Because you go into a doctor, what's the problem? They're going to spend, what, five minutes talking to you? And then they're going to want to do something, whether it's blood tests or whatever tests they want to run. And the tests kept coming back, indicating starvation. And I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, this 57-pound woman walked into a doctor's office and they were going to do a bone marrow test. And they did a bone marrow test on her and they let her leave that office. That's unconscionable. I'm sorry, it's just unconscionable. It gets me worked up. I'm sorry, I'm getting worked up. But the point being that I think when you're seeking help and you're seeking treatment, you logically think, well, this is a disease. I'm told that it's a disease. Well, doctors go cure disease, but not every doctor. I mean, they get so little training on eating disorders, which we've discovered in our journey here. 
that really treating the mental health aspect of it doesn't even really come up. And that needs to really be a good starting place. So you can go to a meeting and start hearing those stories and start there and then go from there and maybe seek out some mental health professionals and talk and see if you can't figure out not necessarily the root cause, but figure out the behavior and why this behavior keeps continuing and take some direction from them. And again, I don't want to wipe out all hope, but I'm just saying that even a mental health professional might not be able to understand what's going on. As a caregiver, you have to wake up to that because we put so much of our faith in the science and the doctors know what they're doing and we put our trust in them. But sometimes the simple truth is they really don't know what they're dealing with. And you have to find those people. And luckily, like we said, we found a place that really understood it. And when you talked to those doctors that were at this treatment facility, it was obvious they knew. They'd spent a lifetime studying this disease and they were like, yep, here's what happens. And you're like, holy crap, they get it. I also wanted to share since we're talking about family support or finding support for people that maybe don't have the money to go into treatment. This mom shared with me that on Facebook, there's an eating disorder family support network. It's called Mom to Mom. So it's M-O-M and then number two and then M-O-M. It's a private group, but I'm not sure maybe if you know somebody or maybe you put it out there on Facebook, maybe you can get into it. But I thought when I looked it up on Facebook, there's so many groups for parents of children with eating disorders. I think that's really important. Not that you have to find, like Brian said one time, find out the reason this happened, but just deal with, I guess, the aftermath of it. Because you may never find that one thing. People ask me all the time, so what do you think happened that caused the eating disorder? And I thought about it for a long time. I think there was many things that caused it. There was no one thing that happened. It's kind of like city slickers, right? When he says, how did you get here? You spent a lifetime making knots in your rope. It takes a little bit of time to get those knots out. I think that was City Slickers. Anyway, that's the analogy. But yeah, I just feel so bad after talking to this family and finding out they had gone to places and different clinics and different places. And because of insurance reasons, they couldn't get help. And that just breaks my heart because something needs to change there. And you may find that you're not going to get any support from the insurance. We didn't get any help from the insurance either. But it was a clear decision that had to be made of, do we find her the right help that we have to pay out of pocket for, or do we watch her die? And that's just the reality. And I don't know what you do if you can't afford it. I don't know. But like I said, AA meetings and OA meetings, they're free, and it's a great place to start. And the reality is that if you want to save your loved one, that going the normal traditional HMO slash PPO route, it may not get you there. Yeah. I'm glad at some point I hit clarity. Sometimes when I think about hitting rock bottom, I think maybe I hit rock bottom while I was in treatment. Not before. I think I did several times before, but it obviously was not my bottom. But when I got into a certain point in treatment, I would be able to talk to Brian like twice a week for like 20 minutes. So I remember sitting outside of the kitchen on the carpet and talking to him, and I was just sharing to him, oh, I'm afraid about this, I'm afraid of getting fat, I'm afraid of eating this, we're having this tonight. And he just stopped me right in my tracks and just was like, I don't deserve to have to go through this one more time. And he was right. And I think that really opened my eyes at that very moment that was a deal changer because 
I realized, well, either I got to figure this out and start working the program or, you know, he may not be here the next time I go through this. And now I'm not only going to be fighting an eating disorder, I'm going to be fighting an eating disorder alone. And that was a big wake up call for me. Just that phone call. I think that's where I really hit rock bottom. That was uh, the first year we were married. I added it up. You were in treatment for at least nine months, maybe longer. So the times that I got to see you that were not in a clinical setting were very limited. And I just went, this is no way to live. I don't want to live this way anymore. So get help or don't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to support this anymore. I owe it to myself not to support it anymore. But anyway, I really stress, I know recovery is extremely hard. I know even after 20 years, it can still have its hard moments. But I hope that Brian and I can give you enough hope to continue going and not to give up. And if you relapse, there's a new day the next day. Hop back up on the horse and get on there. Like this family reached out to us. I was elated that we could help somebody like we did today. That's what this is all about. I just want to say that, again, we're a teeny tiny little, not even half a business. It costs us money to do this. And we have no advertising budget. We have no way to really spread this podcast. So at the very least, if you're getting something out of this podcast, tell a friend, pass it along. Let's spread so we can look at our numbers and go, well, this makes sense for us to continue doing. Or we look at the numbers and you go, we're not reaching anybody. We're not making an impact. This doesn't make sense for us to do. If you are so driven that you want to donate money, that's fine. We'll use that, like we said, for production costs. We're not going to take money out of your pocket to go into our pocket. That's not what we're doing. This is all for service, service, service that we do. And please, if you can, give some money. But at the very least, just tell a friend, hey, I listen to this podcast. It's a great podcast. You should listen to it, too. It's called Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? The guy on it is so funny and talented. (laughs) We also have a Facebook page, Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? I'll accept everybody that wants to come on. Our website is up. It's not completely done, but it's there. It's areyougonnaeatyourfat.com. Reach out to us at eatthatfat.com at gmail.com. That's eat that fat at gmail.com. Let us know you're out there. Just say hi. Just say, hey, I listened. Mm-hmm. Just say that voice, that guy, he must be pretty handsome. Uh, <laughs> you know, something. It's fine. If you want to be anonymous, we will definitely keep you anonymous. We will honor that. No problem. All right. Well, we're going to close with serenity prayer. And thanks, guys. God, God grant, grant me, me the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change. change. The courage courage to change change the things things I can. can, And and the the wisdom to know the difference. difference. Keep Keep coming coming back. It works when you work it. So work it. You're worth it. Maybe we should be more in sync. But anyway, have a great (laughs) day. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it.